cult of personality coming at you. Matthew, with us, as always, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, good to be here, as always. And, you know, we're just going to get down. Uh, we're just going to get down and dirty here, get back into the Star Trek uh Star Trek talk, you know? And I mean, what's better than a little bit of Star Trek talk on cult personality? Nothing. Nothing beats it. This is, uh, you know, this is a long time coming. We've been, uh, we have reviewed the past three movies. Uh, you know, TBD, mm-hmm. we will be reviewing the original series, but uh, here we are with uh, Undiscovered Country coming up. Or not Undiscovered Country, sorry. <laughs> voyage home <laughs> i'm sorry i'm looking at the wikipedia for undiscovered country it's a good movie but this one is also good uh i've seen this now quite a few times this was your first time watching it um and last night uh i suggested that we watch an episode of tos it was the episode that matt was on anyways because watching in order um tomorrow's yesterday and I don't think you have you don't you really do not have to watch the show to watch the movies, but for some movies, a couple of episodes will help. And for the Voyage Home, if you haven't watched any Star Trek and you want to watch the Voyage Home, I recommend you watch the episode tomorrow's yesterday because it's it's all you need to know. This the Voyage Home is a time travel movie, and the the way they perform the time travel is explained in tomorrow was yesterday i don't know if you want to go over the episode we don't really need to um at, do you want to we can go over it briefly uh so sure. ba- so basically the episode starts and they're in they're being pulled by a black star or a black hole mm-hmm. it's, it's a black hole um and you know how you know how those things mess with the space-time continuum so <laughs> these guys get shot like a bullet back to the 60s which i guess yep. is uh 200 300 years before their time yeah uh so you know you know they appear above uh U- u.s uh airspace and of course the military is straight on that and uh they end up beaming up a captain john christopher onto the ship and that really caused a host of problems because number one they can't return him because he knows too much about the future and he'll alter the timeline yeah and they also need to find a way to get back because you know there's always something with the engines they're not working (laughs) right they're powered down the crystals are low uh giving them all they have he's giving it all she's got captain you know um and then some some kooky shenanigans happens. It's a pretty good episode, I'll say that. It's probably like one of the best episodes um, of the first season so far that we've watched. We've watched. This is what episode? You think so? Of the first season? Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, it's it's definitely one of the standouts. It like it's top five. Like I mean, Arena's better than this. Uh, oh, okay, top five. Okay. It it's not the best. No, it's not the best. Uh, okay. I like Balance of Terror better than this. I like yeah. Naked Time better than this. Yeah. yeah some good episodes there. But it's a, it's, it's a pretty good season one episode. Uh, but how do they get back to their time? They, they get back. They do these crazy sons of bitches. They, <laughs> they figure out that if they shoot towards the sun, 
And, you know, we've seen this before. And I think this is probably, I'm going to assume this is like one of the first instances that they did this. Where you you, you do the old gravity slingshot. Where you zoom toward the big object. And then you just pull away, or you're just, you know, in orbit far enough not to fall in. And then you use that uh, pull in momentum and you sh- it shoots them back in time. So then they do yep. that and it works and it's really risky, but they make it and they're back into the star date 3000, whatever it is. Yeah, that and that's that's how they do it in this movie too. They they do the slingshot around the sun. Um, it would have been cool if they would have used the the fountain of uh fountain of forever or guardian of forever, whatever it's called from City on the Edge of Forever. But they went with the slingshot. I mean, it wouldn't. I guess it wouldn't have made sense for them to do the um guardian of forever. What whatever his name is or its name is. Mm-hmm. But uh, it would have been cool to see on the big screen. Anyways. So yes, time travel movie. Um, the premise of it is kind of silly, <laughs> and I'll just cut. I well, it's silly, but all Star Trek is silly, so it, it really doesn't bother me at all. But there's this probe going through space, and it the design of it, I still don't know if I hate or love. It's just, <laughs> it's just this a bullet. black. It's a giant black bullet. cylinder, and then at the bottom of it is this little orb that's glowing, and it's just going around space making these weird calls. Nobody knows what these calls are. And then it goes and encounters its first ship, drains all of its power, and just keeps going through. To And it's going towards Earth, where the Federation capital is. And it gets there, and they don't know how to respond to it. And it just, they're sending out every message, I mean, every peace message I can in any language possible. And it just keeps on going. And it it's turning, it's vaporizing all the water on Earth, making huge storms, draining all their power. They don't know what the hell's happening. Meanwhile, the Federation crew, the main crew, the ones that matter, along with Spock, who's back, his Katra's back in his body, uh, they're going back and they're like, all right, well, we're screwed, we're toast. They're going to sentence us, uh, prison for life, yada, 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 whatever. We're going to be court-martialed. Let's go back. We all accept our fate. And then they get a transmission saying, uh, we're screwed. They get to work. What is this noise? Oh, it's a whale noise. Whales are extinct. Well, then we got to go back in time and get some whales. And that's that's the movie. The movie doesn't really have a villain. Like, the villain, I guess, is the probe. Mm-hmm. But the villain in this movie isn't, like, the point of the movie, it more so just kickstarts the movie. That's its goal. I thought the probe was kind of interesting because they they don't bother to explain it. Yeah. Like, the probe comes in and it's just like, it's causing havoc on Earth. It's like disrupting all communications, almost kind of like an EMP kind of deal. And mm-hmm. it's so big and so powerful. And, you know, spoilers, by the end of the movie, it goes away and you don't figure out where it came from. Nope. Then it almost reminded me a little bit of Space Odyssey. And it was because, number one, the probe was kind of monolithic, like just in its Mm -hmm. design. And the other thing was that, like, because they don't give an answer, I almost envisioned that it's like some super advanced alien civilization or something that's just probing all around. I don't know. They're kind of dicks for, like, making um, a probe that just, like, fucks everything up within its (laughs) a certain radius. Like, it's kind of poor design, if you ask me. 
<laughs> because you know like what if the whale you know a part of it is like the hubris of man you know we the whales are extinct and that was because of us and now we gotta deal with the consequences but what if they just died normally you know like it would have been would have been nobody's fault but anyway i digress there's an episode of next gen and i just thought about it now um and there is like an advanced society and they just send out probes that are like um, turn out to be somewhat harmful mm-hmm. and they were just like oh that you guys travel around in starships we just send out these probes to find new life i should rewatch that. that but anyways that and that's not but it's not the same it's not the same probe here is it no but, no it's a different looking thing probably same idea though but yeah um the movie now this you're right is a very light-hearted star trek romp and i think i could be wrong but that's definitely the distinguishing factor for me from the other three films yep it's a comedy it's it's just a comedy you know it's it's pretty there is no villain so there's no grand scheme there isn't really a lot of space action at all uh except for the beginning nope. and the end uh the bulk of the film is we get kind of a sort of fish out of water style comedy where the crew of the enterprise mm-hmm. have to Number one, uh, get the humpback whales back to their ship so they can transport it back into the, I don't know, it's 23rd century? Is it 23rd? Yeah. 23rd century. Um, and the other thing is that, of course, the dilithium, I don't even think, it wasn't dilithium, but it was, the crystals are depleted, okay? Because they're, the, they're in the Klingon. In the warbird. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the warbird, yeah uh so they need to power up the crystals or whatever it is so they need to go you know do some get some stuff get some MacGuffins, whatever but mm-hmm. it, it is pretty interesting and i like this movie that it did this kind of approach because you know what the last two movies the stakes were high and in fact the last three yeah. movies the stakes were high um and that's kind of to be expected because in star trek you want to have these huge intergalactic threats or whatever and these civilization threatening beings you know, the first one, it had, uh, it had V'ger. V'ger, uh and all that philosophical stuff that was touching on God. Wrath of Khan was a bit more grounded, but it was still just man v. man, and it was very dramatic. Search mm-hmm. for Spock, uh, they had to get Spock back, and they had to fight uh, Doc Brown. And then this one, it's, it's, it's almost a jarring how, like, simple, how lighthearted, and how grounded literally this movie is as they just kind of wander about earth uh they meet and this is like the big new character in this i suppose um Mm -hmm. for fans of savik savik is gone savik is in one scene and then they (laughs) throw her away waving goodbye it's it's a shame yeah you know what at this point i kind of like savik i kind of wanted her to tag along as part of the crew but whatever she's not here they so they go to earth and they meet um they go to the cetacean institute in san francisco where they have the two humpback whales the only two humpback whales to be in captivity at the moment because they mm-hmm. figure it's easy to steal from a cage in the ocean uh and they meet the scientist uh she calls herself jillian i forgot her last name um uh, but she basically is in charge of the humpback whales, and she's grown very fond to them, or fond of them. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, though, they're making their way out as they're going to release them because apparently it's really expensive to keep whales in a tank. 
Uh, and she yeah. sort of serves as like the new, the quote unquote new character. Cause I feel like almost in all of these new movies, you gotta have like a new character. Yeah. Um, what did you think of her character? I had kind of mixed feelings about her. Um, I, I liked her. I think her end, what they did with her at the end of the movie doesn't really make sense. Um, if you've seen the next gen episode of relics, mm-hmm. or if you just kind of have any common sense, someone going from. 1986 to 2237 they are going to be useless that that um marine biology degree she has you're gonna just tear it right up it's a little pieces useless like she's like i have a lot to catch up on it's like girl you're gonna be catching up for the rest of your life actually it's funny that it's sorry go ahead no, go for it. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I didn't even think of that now. And I was thinking of that episode um, that we both watched together. Um, because of Scotty, his appearance yeah. in this is, like, very similar to that. I mean, that was only, like, a few years after that, I suppose. Like, when did Next Gen start? Like, 90s? 90 what? Something? Like, less? Um, within t- yeah. Within like 10 years, I didn't even think of that because if Scotty can't do engineering in the future and Scotty is like the king of engineers, like he's like an engineering genius, there's no way this lady's doing anything. She's going to yeah. be she's gonna be space depressed in a, in a couple of weeks after she realizes that she's got nothing to do. <laughs> uh, um, but like acting wise, um, I don't think I have any issues with it. Or her performance. Rise, I, she doesn't bother me. Her performance is fine. The the thing, and this is the small thing, she kind of has like a thing with Kirk, and it's not explicitly romantic because she's way younger than he is, and and I guess even they don't dare to go that far. Uh, It's kind of reminiscent of like Star Trek original series episodes when there's always like the one lady or alien or sometimes robot that you know you get the hubba hubba moment and then kirk uh plays googly eyes with her the whole movie you get (laughs) you get you kind of get that here and she's like a good character uh as somebody who you know there's a lot of good comedic scenes when they're trying to play coy with her of course because they can't explicitly or at least initially don't want to tell her that they're from the future because that's gonna um mess things up one thing spoiler alert it's funny watching tomorrow's yesterday before this when they're like really careful and then in this they really don't give a fuck <laughs> like they're doing being anything. careful in a movie is gonna be like boring i i guess so like but like you know they're going to like they're going to like uh u.s army like nuclear reactor subs they're 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 jerking <laughs> around you know spock is saying weird shit Kirk is covering for him saying he he did too much LDS in the 60s. <laughs> That's my favorite line. When this, he's like, I think he did a little too much LDS. And she's like, oh, LDS? <laughs> there's a lot, and I'll say this, there's a lot of great humor that is just like that kind of mold where they just don't, you know, they're from the future. They don't really get it. You get a, one of my favorites is <laughs> is when they have the I'm walking here moment. And you have to have that in every movie, by the way. And they did this in Elf. Any fish out of water movie. They did in Elf. They did it in Midnight Cowboy. I think that was the yeah. origin of that. Um, this guy says, get out of the way, double uh, dumbass. And then Kirk says, double dumbass on you. 
maybe one of the best maybe one of the best Kirk lines ever. There's a lot of great stuff like that. Um a really Can really I say good... my favorite joke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. It's so they get they get to town and then Kirk's like, just separate. You guys look like a a cadet squad <laughs> uh, so they walk around they gather into pairs sulu goes off by himself and we never see him again for the rest of the movie and hey. <laughs> Chekhov and ahura go up to this police officer and this is during the cold war in america and Chekhov, with this thick heavy russians like a uh, russian accent he's like where are the nuclear uh, vessels and the cop just stares at him He's like, hello, the nuclear vessels, where are they? And, and then him and Ahura just go to people like, hey, in Alameda, where are the nuclear vessels? Can you help me find the nuclear vessels? And the cops is staring at him the whole time. It's I, That's just so funny to me. It is funny. And then there's a scene later on when, of course, and because they need to go to the nuclear vessels uh, to, I think it was like sap some of the the juice out of the reactor so yeah they wanted the the radiations to power the ship so the uh, so they info so later on uhura and Chekhov infiltrate and they you know their transporters aren't working that great so they beam them up one at a time uhura gets taken uh unfortunately Chekhov gets canceled uh captured and they have an interview scene where they're interviewing him and he says you know i'm pavel Chekhov from the united federation of planets i'm an ensign blah blah, blah or whatever and you know <laughs> this is a great guy moment must be a when, retard. oh my god and the guy's like what do you think because they don't believe him, obviously. They 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 go to the side and they say, what do you think of this? And he's like, he's a Ruski. And he's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course he's a Ruski. <laughs> but he seems kind of retarded or something. And he, <laughs> we don't know what to do with him. Uh, and then Chekhov just runs away because they left the door open. There's so much funny shit in this movie. And it's a generally well-written comedy script. And the best thing about this is that they don't just do comedy in, you know, just like a you know, one-off gag kind of way. They play to the character's strengths, you mm-hmm. know? Like, they play to the character's quirks and eccentricities. It's a really nice character piece, and it's really probably of the movies. Like, you know, you, I would argue, like, Wrath of Khan, you know, it's very Kirk-focused, and that's very character-driven as well. But this one is definitely one of the most character-driven films um, of the, uh, of in the Star Trek franchise, just because it really tries to focus on the dialogue, the character interactions, you know, the way these characters adapt and react to situations. Uh, it's great in that regard because, you know, and I think one of our criticisms, or at least mine from like Search for Spock and maybe Rathacon, of the last three films, I remember sporadically, you know, you were thinking some characters don't get a lot to do, like, you know, Ahura was kind of manning the communications like always, but you know, there yeah. was not much else. Or Sulu was, you know, the helming the helm because he's the helmsman, but <laughs> we don't get to see too much of him. Although we did get a good Sulu moment in Search for Spock with the Don't Call Me Tiny. Uh, but this is a great character showcase. And that's kind of the stuff that you, you wouldn't really expect from the films because they want to go grandiose. And it's the kind of stuff that you and I personally enjoy from the original series when you have these character-focused episodes. Yeah, yeah. Like, motion picture, it was just the big three again. It was just Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, the whole movie, pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. And in this movie, you even get a couple cameos. One thing that pissed me off 
is that Majel Barrett, <laughs> Majel Barrett was credited for in this in in the opening credits for her role in this movie. She has one line. Majel Barrett has one line in this movie, and I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. And it is, we need that power to keep the medical and emergency facilities functioning. And I was like, why the hell was Majel Barrett credited? <laughs> and then I remember that she was married to Roddenberry, so that's why. And Yeoman Rand also reappears in this one. I missed her cameo. Nice too. I missed her it's cameo. So, I, I've seen this movie like four or five times now. I rewatched it today because I was like, where the hell is Majel Barrett in this movie? I I've not seen her, so I rewatch it, and she's just in the the Starfleet HQ, and Yeoman Rand is there with her too. And then you see them at the end when everyone's like celebrating. You see the, them too uh, again, but you got some cameos. That was nice. Um, who was the woman that played Spock's mom, Amanda? It was Jane Wyatt, and she also plays Spock's mom in the one episode that she appears in TOS, which is Journey to Babel. So that was cool. Uh, Mark Leonard also reappears as uh, Sarek. All really good stuff there. Um, I one thing I love in this movie is that the I I love the effects. It's good. And they're yeah. done by ILM, and and it shows. I'm pretty sure ILM did the effects for Search for Spock as well. I think the one they didn't do was the Final Frontier. I know, like I know they started doing them in a row and Final Frontier was a break and they did it again in Undiscovered Country I'm pretty sure but either way they look great in this movie there's um they have the the bird of prey or the warbird whatever they whatever they call it they have it in in a few shots like one is they're standing beside it so it's just a big model that they made and that looks great the inside of it looks amazing. Then they have the model, tiny model version for flying effects. All that looks good. There isn't too much once I get to the city. One thing that looks terrible is that they land in this little open field. And it's a Klingon ship, so they can cloak it. And then you just see it cloaked. And then a giant foot, like a landing foot, presses down on the grass. But it does it in a very symmetrical way that would never happen <laughs> like um imagine you have your shoe and then you press it down on the grass it's just a perfect uh perfect hole fitting the shoe it, it just looks wonky it looks weird but as soon as i get to the city the music starts pumping and it like it, it's so good like the transition from i know i'm rambling right now but <laughs> when they get to the city they have like that nice synthetic jazzy music that like vaporwave will try to uh, parody and and, and it, it's so it's so stark because like star trek you always have like little symphony numbers and then as soon as you get mm-hmm. to the big city it's like and it works really well I that, like when that go- whole tangent made no sense but I, like it started with the effects and ended with the music, but I don't know. It's also good. I like when they get to Earth and you get like the the eighty synth music just to let you know the time period. It's pretty effective. Uh, that was good stuff. Uh, I think this actually got an Oscar nomination for sound design, so that's something that's noteworthy. Uh, this is 
this is a well-designed film and i like i like the uh, effects as well apparently a lot of the humpback whales like some of it was real but a lot of it was animatronics so we've gone up a long way since jaws because uh, i didn't really notice it that much um oh, the I beam did. up oh you know you, you you didn't like the animatronics yeah because they only they do the specific tail flap and they that's the only uh, thing you can do and it just keeps doing the tail flap but anyways but um i thought i thought it was okay like the scene when spock <laughs> and another great comedic scene <laughs> when uh they're going on the tour of the institute uh led by jillian and spock disappears I should note, and we sh- and we didn't touch on this too much, but a small subplot in this film is that mm-hmm. Spock is back. However, right. Spock is not back. He's you know he's learned he's he spent some time on Vulcan. I think they're there for two or three months, and he's relearning. You know he knows all his facts, his science, etc. But he's not quite himself yet. You know he still refers to Jim as Admiral instead of Jim. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the jokes and a lot of the human sort of uh, casual talk is kind of lost on him, you know. When Spunk, he's lost his humanity, he's lost his humanity, and that's and that's a the tone is set early on when in the sequence in the beginning of the film in which Spock is you know on his three computers and he's answering a million science questions all at the same time, and he gets presented with the question, "How do you feel?" And it puzzles him. And you find out that that was orchestrated by his mother, who, of course, being a human, wants him to connect with his human side and not neglect just his Vulcan logical side. But that's a big portion of the film as well. Not like a huge focus. This isn't a Spock film like Search for Spock was for sure. Um, but that's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. And it, it generates some good comedic moments. Like, number one, this moment when they're on the tour and Spock jumps into the tank uh and is just mind melding with this whale uh it's it's a great scene uh kirk it shatner's acting in that scene was hilarious by the way uh, and i think he actually does a pretty good performance in this um i usually don't give him too much credit or perhaps as much as i should but i think he did a good job in this um that scene is great uh and then you get a lot of scenes where and i don't recall this and it isn't something i remember from the original series but Apparently, Spock can't lie. Um, th- is this something okay. I missed out on when we were watching TOS? No. No. So there's just, like, so many things with the Vulcan lore. And maybe I'm I'm getting this wrong, too, where people are like, oh, they don't have emotions. It's like, well, they do. They, do. they just suppress it. Um, and I think mm-hmm. lying is another thing like that, where they're like, lying is just a waste of time. It doesn't help anything. Logical. Let's just not lie. Um, so, and then they, it's like almost a joke, but Spock will like, what we would call a lie. And hmm. then he would, they were like, oh, is that a lie? He'd be like, no, it's um, exaggeration. Like, okay. So they, I, they can physically lie. I think it's just not in their culture to do so. There's a great back and forth dialogue moment when after Jillian gives them a lift in their car because she's really curious as to who they are. You know, Spock reveals mm-hmm. after the mind meld that he, that Gracie, the female whale, is pregnant and that's not something he should know, of course, just being a regular guy. 
She says, you know what? I want to find out more. Let's get dinner. She says, do you like Italian? Spock says, no. And Kirk's like, yes. And he's like, no. And Kirk's like, yes. Spock says, no. And he's like, yes. He does like Italian. We'll eat. And, and Spock is like, he turns to Jillian. He's like, uh, yes, actually. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of great stuff like that. They don't um, per se like resolve this in like an immediate way. I think the point is that he'll just learn on the fly um like how to become himself again like by the end of the film well they resolve it at the end what do you mean well at the end um sarah is and him are talking and he says yeah and he says you have a message for her mom and he says yes tell her i feel fine and sarah looks at him like hmm and that's kind of the end of that yeah so it's like uh, but like he doesn't get like some brain implant that just puts him back to his old old self like it's just it's a work in progress it was a good character arc though because you know they could have just had him back to normal and then it would just been spock being spock but i think it lended um something to the plot of the film when spock was you know he's he's not (laughs) as uh as Bone says, he's not firing on all thrusters kind of a deal. He's still working, you know, he's still doing the good work, but not quite himself. That was a good, that was a nice point of interest, too. One uh, piece of effects that I I still want to talk about is this 3D rendered uh, time warp scene. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. It's very short, and it's not like anything impressive by today's standards, but... It was pretty impressive for the time it came out. And I think Ralph McCory and Nimoy talked. And they're like, how should we do this time warp sequence? And he's like, I want it to be... I think it was Ralph McCory. He's like, I want it to be like dreamlike. So basically, it's just the head heads of the Enterprise crew. And they transform or morph into other faces. But... I'm pretty sure it was McCory's. Like, I I don't want it to be grotesque. Like, I want it to transition nicely. And they had to use pretty much every computer in the studio to render this little 10-second scene ending with the whale. And I, I, I like it. It was a lot cooler than, I don't know, anything. It, alternatives it could be, like clocks flying in the background. <laughs> that cheesy <laughs> shit. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It was cool. It was a cool sequence. It was really weird when I was watching it because I was like, "What is happening?" And then like, then like this like it's all done in like CGI. It's like this white CGI body is just following, falling towards like this sort of nebula light show. And I was like, "What in the hell?" And then they're back. Uh, they when they go back in time the second time they skip that and it yeah. just shows them like kind of dazed. But that was a cool sequence and it's kind of cool. And then of course there was that thing in. I think Wrath of Khan, where it's like the first computer-generated sequence in a film, that mm-hmm. these movies, you know, even if this plot per se isn't like it's completely philosophical or scientific in that regard, uh, it yeah. tries to push boundaries even from like a film pers- uh, production perspective, which is, you know, an element that you always look forward to Star Trek because it's a progressive franchise. Yeah. It was good stuff. And I like to see that um, there was... Uh, effects wise i liked uh one small thing i like the new beam up animation that they have mm-hmm. it's got it's very clean it's stark it was good uh, i feel like they have a different one every movie i it is like it is for sure like at least slightly different from the other ones because 
and I think like I I could be wrong, but I think it's a holdover from Surfer Spock, like the kind of color where it's like reddish orange. It's probably different because they're on a Klingon ship. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That too, because they're yeah, because they're using Klingon transporters and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah, the the uh, beam up animation is nice. Like, not that it was like bad in TOS or anything, but you know, it was just like you can tell it's it's not spectacular, but where they just kind yeah. of fade in. But yeah, it was good stuff. Another, uh, there's so many good effects in this movie. And like the the one kind of cheesy one at the end is when they get the whales into the ship. Mm-hmm. It does not look good because the whales are way too like they're so huge, and if like you use your brain, it's like oh, there's no way they could move around in the ship if they're that big. Like it, it and it just looks <laughs> green screened. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but whatever uh one one funny moment i forgot to to mention and i don't want to go over all the jokes but they're just so funny after talking about them is when and it's a good callback kurt goes to the antique store with the glasses that mccoy gave him for his birthday in wrath of khan and he goes to sell them because he's like we don't have we don't have money they don't use money in the future so he goes to the antique store and he's like i'd like to sell these and the guy's like i can give you a hundred dollars for them and shiner goes uh, is that a lot? <laughs> and the guy goes like, eh, yeah. The comedy in this, and the reason why it works, and in that particular scene in the like opening period when they enter, is because in these films and in this show, you're used to these guys being so competent. Like Kirk, Spock, and mm-hmm. Bones, they're all on top form. They're always doing the right thing. They come to Earth and they're just like walking around like bums. The scene when he gets the money and he's doling it out to everybody, it's it's just inherently <laughs> comedic because they're just like, all right, here you go. Everyone gets 12 bucks. Uh, don't spend it all at the same time. It's just funny to watch because, you know, they're just acting as we do now. I think he makes a comment later on when he has to when they're leaving their dinner with doc, uh, with uh, Dr. Taylor Jillian and she says let me guess you don't have money in the 22nd or 23rd century and he's like we don't <laughs> I, the, just the basic fish out of water stuff in this is really funny I don't know it's always it's an easy joke always to take revered characters or heroes and you know step them down a notch or put them into situations where they're not particularly comfortable but in star trek Mm -hmm. especially which is known as a series known for its drama and stuff like that it just works really really well to me this is like a really successful comedy uh in the star trek franchise and it's a successful film overall as well um but it's it's such highest grossing uh, star trek film include uh of the originals Nope, all time. No way. Is that adjusted for inflation? Yep. Okay, I see. Uh, yeah, the voyage home. You can, you can keep talking. I'm going to look this up. Well, you know, a Tarantino Star Trek would have eclipsed that, but RIP. Um, but it's 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 a there's just a nice deft balance between the drama and the plot at hand here and the comedic stuff. It never feels cheesy, which is something that it easily could have given that you know the movie you know i mean people will think star trek is cheesy and perhaps you've indoctrinated me too much and i can't see the cheesiness anymore (laughs) but it is it is a nice fine line that they ride between hilarious moments and 
general general hilarity and the stuff that moves the plot forward and keeps it a, just a classic Star Trek adventure. You know what? I was wrong. Okay. It is the highest grossing of all the original movies mm-hmm. by a long shot sometimes. But if you... Star Trek 09 made $385 million. That's low. Uh, yeah, I know. Star Trek, it, like, it, people like to think it's, like, up there with Star Wars. It is really not. It's not. Like, I wish Star Trek was as popular as it is and got more love. But, no, it, it's, it's still pretty nerdy. Um, with inflation, it made $315 million. But still, I see. it's like the weirdest one. Well, maybe not the weirdest one, but it's like it's the goofiest premise and mm-hmm. it made the most. And like, that's kind of interesting that they just took the shot in the dark. They did nothing like this. There's nothing like this in TOS other than the time travel. But there's no like, let's go back in time and save whales uh, so they can mm-hmm. have nothing but incest babies on Earth. And <laughs> don't and worry it, it about that, out. man. That's so, so weird. I wish they took more about the whales. Yeah, you know what? The thing is, Noah is good enough for Noah. Is good enough for them. You know, God or somebody or Vidra will intervene and make this work and put some genetic diversity. It, it like I said earlier that it it's fine that they were kind of wishy washy with the. Sun. The, the time travel stuff because they don't want to be too strict about it in a movie but some parts I do you know what I do agree it's like okay like Scotty just shows this guy in a really funny scene how to make transparent aluminum and they kind of have like a tongue in cheek moment where McCoy's like hey man isn't this going to mess with the timeline and Scotty's like how do we know uh, he didn't make it so <laughs> like they kind of try to cover their asses but come on he wasn't making transparent aluminum Let's be real. You know what? It's like it's 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 a sacrifice that you have to make to keep kind of the comedic tone, to keep it lighthearted. You don't want to get too mired into the whole let's not mess with the timeline thing. You know, like I can appreciate it. And the thing is, it's ground we've tread before. Some people might be pissed because it's not consistent within the franchise. Like they just don't care now. And apparently there's no effects mm-hmm. when they go back to the future but i don't mind that because i i don't get like hung up on that type of stuff uh i mean the whole premise is is silly already so i think people need to just buy into it and just kind of roll with it one thing that it was kind of cool though again going back to that glasses scene is that uh, you know spock says didn't mccoy give you those as a gift and he's like and he will again that's the beauty of it and i was like that's kind of cool that was a cool setup. <laughs> that is, that is a cool setup. Although when he goes back, he won't have them. So yeah. you know what did he mean? <laughs> what did he mean by that? You know, don't worry about it. I like to think McCoy got those glass. Like I like to think those are the same pair that endured from all time. Um, perhaps that is the yeah. That's what he means. Like okay, he'll get them back again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also really funny, like, this is stupid, <laughs> like, there's so many good scenes where they go on this bus, uh, Spock and Kirk on this bus, and then there's this punk rocker listening to a knockoff Sex Pistols song, and, like, he's like, can you turn that down, please? 
And then he turns it up and flips off Kirk, and then Spock just goes over and nerve pinches his ass, and everyone cheers. And everybody claps at this dude knocking him out. He could have killed him. They don't even know. <laughs> and they're all cheering. But that, you know what? That's, that just goes to show how fucking annoying it is when people play their music on the bus. Mm-hmm. My God. That's the worst. I would have never pinched his ass too. I gotta learn that. Uh, is there anything that you explicitly dislike about the movie? Already there? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, is there anything you explicitly dislike about the movie? No, well, nothing, nothing major. Um, the, like I, I think that Jill, Doctor Jillian Taylor, like as a character, she's kind of superfluous. Like she's whatever. Um, I'm reading on the Wikipedia here that originally this role was written for Eddie Murphy, um, and I think that would have been incredible. Um, I think it, her character is fine, and she's very lively. You know, but she doesn't really lend too much, like, from a comedy perspective, other than just the character that needs to guide them through things and is kind of suspicious of them. Um, her thing with Kirk is kind of weird. Like, she gives him a kiss at the end, and she says bye to him. Um, I, like, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, I want to see these guys <laughs> making out or just don't have this weird thing at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, commit yeah. to- uh, the other th- the other piece of trivia apparently on the Wikipedia there's a rumor going during production that Kirk or Shatner demanded that because he needed to have a love interest like in classic TOS episodes. I honestly, even probably though it's a true. rumor, probably true. From if what you told me about Mister Shatner is correct and his ego, then that's that's probably likely. Uh, that's that's it. Um, I it this isn't a knock per se. It's a very simple film. I almost wish there was like a little bit more, like a not like to have like you know. I appreciate this different kind of Star Trek movie, but almost like to have something a little bit more Star Trekky per se would have been nice. I don't know. Maybe tie it in. Maybe have some kind of explanation as to what's going on with the probe. Uh, but those are small things. Other than that, it's a pretty solid film. One of the best parts of the movie, I don't know if you caught, is at the beginning when they also set up this kind of another little subplot. But like mm-hmm. the, the movie is structured like you have all this set up in the beginning and then you have this voyage, this journey that has nothing to do with it. And then it all ties together in the end somehow. Mm-hmm. So another part of the setup at the beginning of the movie is that this Klingon is at the Federation Council and he's like, hey, look, Kirk just blew up this ship with all of our dudes in it from the search for Spock. Mm. Like, he should be uh, held accountable for this. Mm -hmm. And then Sarah comes in, and he does this typical Vulcan thing where he just kind of puts people in their place, hits them with that facts and logic real quick. Um, And then the Klingon guy's like, I'm out of here, but if, if Kirk isn't punished for this, you will pay. And he's walking out, and someone in the background shouts, "You pompous ass!" <laughs> and that's my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, d- does this um, promise happen? Is this like alluding to the events of the next two films? 
no. Um, no, it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, okay. I wish, I mean, uh, you could kind of say that it ties into Undiscovered Country, but you'll have to wait and see for that, and you can make your own judgment call off. I guess we should talk about the ending. So they say they get the a whales back to Earth, and they, you know, the the whales tell the probe to go away. It's all good. We're here. Mm-hmm. And the probe goes away. Then, of course, they have to do the court martial because, you know, they did a lot of crimes. And Spock stands with them in solidarity, which is a good Spock moment. And basically, all the charges are hand-waved away, except for that they say, you know what, we got to hold Kirk accountable for disrespecting chain of command. So he's reduced to captain, and you get your own starship. And it's Enterprise 2. Now... <laughs> for people, for Starfleet sticklers, I'm sure they're absolutely fuming that this guy got away with doing all this shit and basically got a, a demotion in name only. Uh, but, you know, that it is what it is. I mean, they did save the planet, so they get some points for that, of course. Uh, but then, yeah, then yeah. They, um, they, they... They leave the core marshal. They expect to get some random ship, and it's Enterprise Two. It's a, it's actually NCC dash one seven zero one dash A, and I think it's mm-hmm. slightly different. The engines look different. They're not like cylindric. They're more like rectangles. It's like a slight difference. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then then of course we get we get a couple notes of the original theme playing. Kirk says, let's see what this thing can do. Zoom off into space. Boom. Ends the movie. That was a good ending. And, you know, it's really yeah. easy. And they do that in a lot of Star Trek movies where it's just, you know, everybody get together. And they do this in, like, every TOS episode where it's like, all right, we're all good. You know, ship off. Let's go. Zoom out. End of episode slash movie. Uh, but it works, you know, especially in an adventure like this where it's lighthearted. It's very classic Trek in that way. Uh it's a good ending, and it's a solid way to lead into the next one. Although I guess this is kind of like the end of the story arc that started in Rathacon, and then they just kind of start a new one in Final Frontier. Yeah, yeah. I almost wish they did a, like a full complete story through all films. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I guess I guess it's more true because the. You know, the original series was very episodic, right? Very few, mm-hmm. like, episodes leading into others, if any. So I guess they didn't want to get it too mired into continuity. Also, they probably just didn't have it planned out. Yeah, the the, the motion picture was just kind of... They were like, let's just do this, and that'll be it. Whenever you have a movie where it's just like... Star Trek, the motion... It was on Star Trek 1. Mm-hmm. It was just Star Trek the motion picture. It was just like let's let's do this, and then let's try again. But yeah, I wish maybe omitting one. I wish five played into this. I mean, you could argue that it does, but I don't think it does. A six almost feels like it's coming back. You'll see. But the six to me feels like okay. This is another entry into this story, mm-hmm. and that's like the finale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing. Oh shoot. Oh, one thing that I noticed while I watched this movie, that I, I don't think I noticed in the other movies. I'm gonna have to go watch them again and see. But the lighting in this movie, on that first starship, 
I forget what it's called, but the one that the probe destroys. And even in the Starfleet HQ, they have this lighting that looks so futuristic because it's like this nice hollow blue lighting. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's white light, but you know how like the light in your room probably has like a yellow tint to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same with mine. But in this one, like it, it's like a, a blue shade and it, it looks so, so, so nice. And that was probably some ILM. That was probably delivered by ILM to be like, let's let's make it look this way. Because when they're in buildings for the rest of the movie, they're in this like yellow lighting. And all, I think I said this pretty much throughout all the movies is that the lighting in it is something I've always noticed. Like mm-hmm. it being good. Speaking of lighting, this, yeah, we'll um, go, yeah, go ahead. Speaking of lighting, I like this uh, sequence in the beginning, uh, in which there's this. So they the movie opens with like this completely different crew. I think this done it a couple times. Um, yep. Wikipedia tells me that this lady captain is the first female captain depicted on screen, which is of note. I could be, yeah. Uh, so she's there. Uh, she's also black. Um, yeah. and they, when they're dis when their power is, um, disrupted by the probe, uh, they put on emergency lighting and it's mm-hmm. like this, it's like this absolutely hazy red lighting and it just casts a nice ominous, like kind of death con feel on everything. I thought that was cool. Uh, mm-hmm. interesting that it's like the worst lighting possible, but <laughs> it was still a cool <laughs> moment. That was like the one lighting thing I noticed. Um, but yeah, you know, the thing in with these movies, I guess, in comparison with original series is that original series, very shadow heavy, you know, you get those, you get the light cast on the eyes and everything like that. But this one is like more, I guess, movie production where everything is very clearly depicted in that way. Yeah, I wish we, I almost wish we had a movie that had like the full psychedelic palette that TOS has, but mm-hmm. oh well. New Star that'll, Trek that'll movie. A... New Star Trek movie. Bet on it. Hey, maybe. Bet on it. It'll be good. One other fine, funny scene gotta talk about is when they go to the hospital because they have to rescue Chekhov because there's a scare in the movie that Chekhov died. Yes. Um, he's escaping the the nuclear vessel and then he, or the vessel, sorry, the nuclear vessel, and he falls off and we just see him in that classic, oh, he's dead pose after someone falls with his body all cattywampus. <laughs> so now they have to go rescue Chekhov. It's Bones, um, Jillian, and Kirk. And they do this very, like, pleasing, satisfying thing where they go through, like, three different transformations of disguises to get past everyone. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Bones is just talking about the uh, the medicine, <laughs> the medical landscape of 1986. And he's just like, dialysis? My God, are we in the dark ages? He, he, and he gives this lady a pill. He's like, eat this pill. You're going to yep. be Gucci. They go get Chekhov. You know, they they go fix him up. When they're escaping, this lady's like, I'm cured. I'm cured. And all the doctors like, huh? How is this possible? She's got no She pop. grew a kidney. <laughs> Uh, Bones should have just stuck around, cured cancer for a little bit, man. Could have done us a couple of favors there, but oh well. <laughs> and he's like, "You want to drill a, a hole into this man's head? Like, my God, man! Don't you want to save them?" 
<laughs> the best part of Bones is whenever he just so incredulous at somebody's actions. You know, usually either with Jim or Spock when they got some crazy scheme hatched up or something like that. And he goes, "My God, this is barbaric, medieval." <laughs> it's great. He's really just like the biblical character of the of the group where it's like almost he's like old timey. Yeah. Iron- he's trapped in the 60s. Ironically, I think of all the characters he he ages the best in this because he basically is mm-hmm. like he's basically unchanged. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you know Shatner, he put on a few pounds. You know. Yeah, he put on a couple. <laughs> you know James Doohan, he put on a couple of pounds too. <laughs> Everyone it works with him though. I don't even care. It, it does. Like he just he works because he's already like a jolly old guy. So you know yeah. he, he has that feel in TOS. It's almost weird seeing him in original series like season one when he's like pretty young and he's got like no gray hair and he's very shiny slim. black too pale. Yeah, he it's it's strange. It does fit his character. It's nice. Uhura ages like wine. Her age is nice. Nimoy, like he looks older, but he he's you know he still looks good. Everyone else looks fine too. Sulu aged really well, but I mean he he's like he had to be like one of the youngest of the crew, right? From the original series. Yeah, Chekhov was definitely the youngest. Sulu is probably probably second. Like I think like the main three in Ahura, they must have been like mid thirties when you know during original series maybe like mm-hmm. i think maybe like bones was a little older but yeah sulu was a young and a young gun um what else did i want to talk about i don't know if i, I mentioned mean, oh, sorry go ahead all i was gonna say was nothing and then take the floor was that the score is is pretty good with all these movies the scores are are good this one almost seems like more the score would be fitting in kind of like a Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. It, it has kind of that, like, it just reminded me of E.T. I don't know why, but it is fitting because, like, it's that sort of whimsical, jolly, symphonic music for a sci-fi movie. And it works for this because that's what what it is. But it, it's, like, playful. I don't know. It works well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I, I should make a point that of all the Star Trek movies, like, this is definitely the most accessible Mm-hmm. you don't need to know anything really if you watch mm-hmm. as you mentioned if you watch tomorrow's yesterday and then watch this so like, you're not gonna be lost like as if you just know what star trek is about basically and i mean like you can kind of say the same for the other ones but like i mean search for spock you have to watch the previous movie wrath of Khan, space seed is kind of important backstory yeah uh, and stuff like that but this one you don't even need to watch tomorrow's yesterday because they just mentioned it offhandedly that that was their past adventure but it's a very accessible film and i guess that's why it was so successful um i almost think that part of the reason that they made this accessible was like to get more butts in theaters uh you know at a time when maybe the franchise wasn't doing like extraordinary extraordinarily well um, no, it was doing well. Like I, I, I think it was for the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Like opening night, the I forget who it was, but they basically went to Nemo and like, you want to direct the next one? And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, but but the reason this one was so lighthearted was because Nemo was like, okay, we had pretty two heavy movies. Let's take a breather here. 
Mm-hmm. So so they made it like that for that reason. This is the pit stop movie. Yeah. Where they just, you know, they have an adventure, but it's kind of chill, you know. They have a lot of laughs, you know. They eat some pizza, talk to some whales, you know. And they have a good time. And they save the world, and boom, they're back at it again, ready for the next one. Yeah. Uh, my big, like, I... I have little things like I can't even pinpoint like I'll say it now the movie's not 10 for me but I can't really say why like there's no big thing it's just like it it just doesn't feel right no I mean I was thinking about that too because this is a very solid film where which I have very little problems but it's not spec it's not like spectacular it's a good film for sure but I it, you know if we have to compare it to something like Wrath of Khan it just doesn't have that kind of gravitas I think the script in Rakocon is impeccable. Every at like every point in the film, you're like paying attention to dialogue and elements of it, and it's all really tight. Uh, this has you know a lot of breathing room in that regard because you want to have these comedic moments. And I could maybe argue if I have to bring out another point that the setup in the beginning is like a little much, like it really takes its time, and then once we get into the adventure, it really hits its full stride. But yeah, yeah, because at the beginning is like half an hour or something yeah because they're like all right let's get back you know they're like okay let's go back then we have like a bunch we have like a big montage of like starfleet being like what's going on like yeah communications are scrambled huh and you get the typical stock starfleet characters being stock starfleet characters uh but this setup wasn't like long enough that it disinterested me but at a point, I was like, okay, let's. When is it getting really into it? And then it does, and it's and it's worth the wait. Yeah, the the beginning it could be a bit a bit shorter. It's like a quarter of the movie, mm-hmm. and it yeah, it could have been a bit quicker. Uh, I, another thing, and I'll say it for this movie too. Although they still do it, which was great, but I wish they did it more. Is uh, let's see more of the characters. Sulu does nothing this movie. He um, gets a <laughs> helicopter, and that is it. That was a good scene. Yeah. what Like, George Takei, like, whenever he has, like, a moment to shine, like, in This Is Search Fuck, I'm like, damn, I actually like Sulu when he has agency, you know? And when he's talking to this random guy about this about this chopper, and he's making sly jokes, you know, a little wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, I've seen someone like this before. Yeah, it's kind of old, haha. That's good stuff. I don't know. It's like the problem is that you have to have Kirk, Spock, and Bones, and they have to be in the big roles. And, you know, it's a big crew. Well, like relatively big. But uh, I don't know. See, And that's like one of the, one of the things where it's like, you know, maybe d- divert the time from this Dr. Taylor character who yeah. nobody really cares about and I'm assuming does not return in any other movie. You are correct. Um, just give that time to, you know, Sulu to do something, you know, Chekhov has his moments when he, when he has to get interviewed and then he gets injured and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, a little more gets called a retard. It's called a retard, you know, a Ruski too. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, it's kind of the way it has to go, I guess. But cause I don't know if it's like a thing where it's like, I know that, like, Nimoy and Shatner, they're, like, they kind of won't... They're not egotistical, or, like, maybe Shatner is, but at least Nimoy, at least, also, is kind of, like, 
you know, let me make like make this worth my while kind of thing. Like he's not gonna take a backseat, I guess, to the other crew members or the lesser ones. Am I wrong? No, he knows his worth, and he know like he knew while they were making TOS, he's like. I'm pretty sure, like, I'm the most important character on the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me more money. <laughs> yeah, there was, like, a big thing where him and Shatner were arguing about, like, who's, um, who's, who's the star of the show? And Roddenberry's like, eh, what? And he's like, who's the star? And he's like, eh, eh, eh. Well, Kirk is the star of the show, but, but Spock is the fan favorite, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you could say Kirk is kind of like the Luke, but Spock is kind of like the Han. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it was... I'm I'm pretty sure it was this movie. They had a big issue with making it because um, they wanted more money. And they're like, oh, we don't know if we can recast these goons. I'm pretty sure it was this one. Uh, it, it says on the Wikipedia here that Shatner said, I'm only doing this if A, I get $2 million, and B, yep. if I can direct the next movie. Yeah. These guys and their conditions, man, like, just for the good of Trek, do it out of your... <laughs> do it from the goodness of your heart, please. I, You know what? I'll say this, though. With all those kind of contractual disputes and the egos and stuff, it's it's kind of like a miracle that they did... The whole series and then six movies. And is anybody missing from the last two? No. So yeah, like that's a big feat. I mean, hey. And an animated series. And an animated show. So you know what? It's kind of, I think it's one of those things where they, they knew their worth, but they also liked doing Trek as to the point where they weren't going to back out. Because they probably knew also that that's like their moneymaker, obviously. I mean, we all yeah, know. Yeah, let's say like Denise Crosby it and... <laughs> see ya well you know did that work out for denise crosby what else is she in nothing so you know what that's that's the lesson don't break the mold stay on track um yeah i think jimmy Dewan was like the biggest fan of star trek well not a big enough fan to come back for was he dead for the futurama episode no all i know about what happened with that was they contacted his agent and his agent said hell no why i don't know that's weird and i mean he came back for maybe i you know what i guess it was like i'm assuming it's just like you know what he's done with trek like he doesn't want that to be his legacy you know you get typecast and i guess that's a big fear of many actors worse than getting well, he's probably old as hell at that time was old as hell. When that episode came out, he would have been in like his late eighties or early eighties, because yeah. he died in eight. He died at the age of eighty five. Says here in two thousand five. So in Star Trek and Futurama started in ninety nine. So if it was like two thousand two thousand one, he would have been like eighty. Maybe he just didn't want to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But oh well. Bagaroos. Let's hit the bags. Uh, you, you go first. This one, I liked a lot. It's funny. I'm going to rewatch it. Um, Matt has my Blu-ray, so when I see that again, I'll probably watch it. He'll never um, see it again. Pardon me? Uh, it's nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I can't think of many things that are just, like, explicitly wrong other than I wish the characters had more to do. And... 
like I, I do kind of agree with you, yeah, that I wish there were like a bit there was a bit more Star Trek in the middle. Because the characters are there. But the like and I get that they're back in time, but there's no there's like hardly any like sci-fi aspects for the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. And even in an episode like Tomorrow's Yesterday, there's sci-fi aspects because they talk about the timeline all the time. The timeline, yeah. It's a big yeah. concern. Yeah. And then this, they're just taking a lady out of the timeline. They're taking power from a nuclear base. And then the other thing, I wish there was a bit more... There were a bit more sci-fi goofs and gaffs. That, that would have been really... That that maybe would have done it for me. That that was like that was like almost a little pissed off for me is when they're like we can't bring you back and she jumps onto him when they're transporting they're like okay we we'll bring you back it's okay it's <laughs> like a, you couldn't beam her back down like beam her back down and you know you can't just be taking people out of the timeline she's like ah, I I got nothing here for me and I was like shit I mean that's that's kind of hard to hear but I mean <laughs> <laughs> okay you know you do you. That was like in the episode of Tomorrow's Yesterday when Spock comes on and he's like, I look the records for uh, this man and he's made no notable contributions in his whole life. That was a bra moment. <laughs> that's that's like the kind of moment where Spock needs, they need to sit Spock down and be like, you need to be a bit more sensitive. You know, you can't just come out and say <laughs> a man's life amounted to nothing casually like that. <laughs> you know, it's it's too much. It's too much. Just not really, uh, it's not the vibe. It's not the vibe, exactly. Um, but I liked it. I, I think an 8 is fair for this movie. 8 out of 10? You know what, I'm gonna say the exact same thing. 4 out of 5 bags for me. Super enjoyable film. I'll probably re-watch this. Uh, I mean, I'll probably re-watch the films at one point, but the nice thing about this is that you can just kind of re-watch in a vacuum. Yep. Uh, so this one is an easy 4 out of 5 for me. I'd recommend it to anybody, really, uh, if you take a, at least if you take a mild interest in Trek. Yeah. I mean, like, to people who watch a show and they're like, man, this is boring, uh, you, you'll you probably find more of what you're looking for in the movies. Mm-hmm. Because it... the show was low budget. They had to do mostly drama and talking stuff. They couldn't just be an effects show 24-7. Um, so... It, I, I do get that the original series is a bit bland in that aspect. It's just like, you know, it's just different. Because that was just, you know, Star Trek was progressive. But in this in the realm of, like, 60s TV at the time, it would have fit in, like, pretty well. Most no. people nowadays... No? Like, with the other stuff that was on TV? Not in, like, terms of subject matter, but, like, just in terms of, like, acting, pacing, style, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then nowadays, most people don't watch, you know, like, reruns of I Love Lucy or anything. If you watch any of that, you'll see the difference. So, that, that's just, it's just, like, an age thing, you know? Uh, this one is definitely a lot more modern in terms of pacing. Like, it's, you know, I mean, most people have seen 80s comedies before. This This won't f- fall too far off from that. It's funny that you mention it because they made Star Trek in Lucille, Lucille's uh, studio, Desilu Studio, where they made I Love Lucy. I read that she was a Brit, a big proponent of the show, and that she really wanted that to remain on air. The nice thing to hear about Star Trek is that, like, there was when it was airing, there were people that were really 
you know, recognizing what it was doing and wanted it to be on. You know, when MLK says, hey, you got to stay on the show. That's powerful, that's man. The, that's a good story. That's a bra moment, yeah. When who was like, yeah, I'm thinking of leaving the show. And MLK was like, you can't do that. See, it's crazy. Like, everybody wanted to leave the show or had a problem, but they were still there all the time. Yeah. It's crazy it worked out. And then, like, and then they would come back for, like, cameos and shit in TNG. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, really, the only noticeable omission, like, where it's like, oh, they couldn't get this person back, is, like, for me, that that Futurama episode with James Doohan. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's even crazy that they got him for this, like, Simpsons, like, this Matt Groening, like, basically Simpsons spinoff show where they make fun of their characters and they make fun of themselves and they make fun of the show that brought them fame and acclaim. It's, (laughs) It's crazy. Um, next week we have picked Dread. Dread, uh, double feature, I think we said. Oh, God. What a mistake. We'll see. I want to do... We had made plans to watch a movie with our buddies over the internet, not in person. And we had made plans to do so, like, two times now. And I, I keep forgetting about them, but we're going to watch a Dread. We'll do it... We'll do it on Tuesday, if it works for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll watch the Stallone one after that. Yeah, I'll do that too. Um, the episode after, do you have anything that you want to do? Um, nothing in particular. Uh, I could take a look at my list though. Uh, well, I gave us a choice last time. Um, if you want, we can do the other choice. However, I did pick a dread, so you can have next pick if you like. Uh, the other option, if you if you're interested, would be Mad Max, but I'll leave it up to you. I have an idea of a movie that we could do as well. Mm-hmm. Jack Frost. Jack Frost? You mean the movie? Mm-hmm. You mean the Michael Keane movie? Nope. Okay, good. I was kind of scared there. Oh, my God. Ooh. 1997 Jack Frost. Uh, give, give it a quick look up. Comedy slasher. Yeah, this one looks good. You know what? It's funny because in my head, I was also thinking of uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. This looks like kind of in the same vein. But do you ever want to do that? Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, we'll, we can do it. Uh, yeah, I'm down for Jack Frost. This looks cool. Oh, God, when you said the Michael Keaton one, I, as a side note, that movie fucking sucks. That's, I hate that movie. I hate the stupid animation. I hate the stupid plot. Uh, it's just gross. Terrible film. Awful. I like uh, I like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's just like satire overload, though. At some points, like it's a little too much. Like it's like you're not all you're doing is is satire. Do you have anything else? Like I I get it. <laughs> Hopefully, it's a little better than Dark Star. Uh, <sighs> yeah, that movie was a bit rough. Uh, yeah, you know that was that was disappointing. Because, I yeah. mean, this is the Carpenter. He's the man. But, I mean, you know, we all come from humble be- beginnings, I suppose. That stupid ball alien in that movie just embarrassing. Ah, uh, it looks so bad. <laughs> it looks so terrible. Like, you can you can make cool stuff out of garbage. I mean, that's what Star Wars did. Like, you just have to, like, give a shit. That ball thing, man, you... Come on. Here's the thing. Is that, you know, in Star Wars, like, New Hope... 
you know, you might say from a technical perspective, none of it, some of it doesn't look good, but all of it works. And like when I watch that film, I don't look at something and go, oh, that looks like shit. Even like the devil mask guy, I'm like, all right, I'll take it in yeah. stride. It would just works. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's just an excellent film, obviously. Uh, but yeah, like the this worst thing about Dark Star is just it's a balloon and it has duck feet and it looks and the the design on it is terrible. They just spray painted it. It doesn't move convincingly at all. I mean, he had no budget, but like I don't know, it was that that movie wasn't that good. <laughs> that movie was that was that was low bags. I think I gave that one two bags. <laughs> and it's like if you if you don't have the budget for it, you don't do it. You don't you, do it. You just find something else to do. You work with what also you when got. you mentioned Eddie Murphy earlier, I was gonna say that he was also a big fan from the little skit. There's a funny skit if you like Star Trek, look on YouTube. Just Eddie Murphy Star Trek, and uh, that's probably why they wanted to have him on. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right because uh, that was from his Delirious special, which came out early '80s. So yeah, that would have been that would have been dope to have Eddie Murphy on there as a mm -hmm. character. Um, yeah, his, uh, his, uh, his, his bid in Delirious was funny because I just watched that special because I'd been meaning to because I think it's like his biggest special and he's got that Star Trek thing and you can tell he's watched the show. He watches the show. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like he knows exactly like he's Im imitating the music like perfectly. I mean, obviously it's something that he would have written. It's not like he was doing it off the cuff, but he obviously gave a damn enough to make sure everything was right. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've uh, Star Trek. It's only something I've been become acquainted to in the last year, but um, I, I like to see when it permeates culture like that. You know, I kind of forget watching the show that this it's like a huge, I mean, it's like a niche thing, but it's also not. It's cult while mm -hmm. also being extremely mainstream. It kind of exists in that weird superposition where everybody knows it. Not a lot of people have actually seen it though. Yeah, like the people. It, it's called when you know more than oh that's mr spock yeah and that's a kirk yeah exactly and they're on the star trek enterprise <laughs> they're on the star trek voyager they're on the voyager home <laughs> uh so yeah we'll do those two movies that'll be good i, I i've been kind of dying to do a a crappy horror movie so yeah i was gonna I, I was gonna say that was a nice that'll be a nice uh return to to cop basics i guess you could say black christmas was kind of that but i i think black christmas was like a pretty good movie yeah i want crap i want i want to watch crap when was the last time we watched crap we haven't had crap for a minute i want crap yeah we're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be low have you seen this before uh no, just clips the stuff on YouTube. Okay, I'm gonna bet low bags. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a low bag episode, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm gonna I'll tell you right now, the dread's gonna be big bags for me. You know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be up there. It's a good movie. Although I haven't seen it in a few years, so maybe my opinion might have changed. I feel like I'll like I'll like the idea of dread. I don't I don't know anything about it. I think maybe he's a cop. I'll I'll, I'll say everything I know about dread. I know there's a Sylvester Stallone movie, which is people think it's crap, and he looks like Captain Falcon, and I think he's maybe a cop. That's all I know about Dread. <laughs> that's not that's that's pretty that's pretty accurate. You know, the one thing I'll say about the Dread movie is that like it, 
and I, this like kind of filtered a lot of people because I remember when this movie came out and I watched it and I was like talking to my friends at the time about it and I was like what do you think of this movie and they're like it's so cheesy it's so serious and I was like that's like a big point of this new dread is that in the original comic it's extremely satirical it's all satirical it's just a satire of law enforcement and dystopia mm-hmm. and stuff like that so it's a little more tongue-in-cheek this one has played a little bit uh, straighter you could almost call it like a parody of like darker late 2000s action films like you could maybe say like it's a dark night takeoff kind of thing those kind of vibes but you'll see we'll talk about it next week and we'll have a nice discussion about it are you a big fan of the comic i haven't read a ton of the comics i've just read a few stories here and there i like the character a lot he doesn't have like f- like full-on graphic novels per se because they're he has them serialized in 2000 AD. I've been meaning mm. to read more, though, because I really like the idea. And what's next? Oh, we have Court Martial to watch on Star Trek. That'll be good. That'll be good. You know, good maybe, Kirk episode. maybe we'll watch an episode tonight. Texo Boys, even though two of them don't watch it anyways. <laughs> and... We'll get them on. We'll get them on. You know what? the luke has been preaching the good word of trek for a while now and you know some people they're always gonna turn the other cheek and they'll never reach salvation it's a hard sell for a lot of people okay you know especially for like young people nowadays but once you take that trek pill you're in it you know mitch took it and he's doing good We'll have Mitch on the Star Trek episode. I was thinking about that today. Like, he needs... I mean, all we have to do is just add him to the Discord call, and he can, you know, throw his two cents in there. That'll be good. We haven't had a guest on in a long while. When when we have... Like, I want to do the Star Trek episode, regardless of how we do it, when the studio's open. But one thing I was thinking of doing is, like... This might be a lot of content, but I was thinking you and I would do our, we would sit down and talk. We would do our top fives. And then maybe we could just have like a guest come in, talk about just their favorites. And we could just have like a bunch of guests, like friends. Ambitious. But you know, they say in this movie, fortune favors the foolish. And uh, that's a good plan. I like it. It might be a lot of content. That one, I would probably... Because I don't really edit any of these. I just upload them as is. That one, I would probably have to edit. Mm -hmm. That would be a project. But, uh, man, once we get in the studio, things will be a lot easier in that regard. And it's only a matter of time. You know, probably gonna... I mean, don't get your hopes up to the audience. You know, like, it's gonna be, like, probably at least a few months. Like, Mm -hmm. minimum. But, you know, in due time. In due time. Thanks for sticking around. No problem. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, next week, Dread. Week after that, Jack Frost. That one, I think, should be a fun one. I always like to do crappy movies like that. It's just, you know. I, I just, I'm looking for the next punish, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. That's what I've been chasing. We'll find it. We'll, we'll find, find it. We'll find it. Punish. 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 Oh, did he end the show?